Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. We are going to dive into today how to follow up with past prospective clients. So these are people who reached out. You had a, uh, I'm assuming you had a prospect call with, but we can define that, I guess, in the future and say, based on how much contact they had with you, if different approaches should be taken, but people who have shown interest in what you do and then did not sign up. So what do you do with them? And yeah, now that I've mentioned that, I'm like, oh, it'll be really curious if we want to break it down into people who said they're interested versus had a call and actually had a sales conversation versus those who said, yes, I do want to sign up, but then actually don't follow through. So this is going to be a fun one. Yeah. And I'm assuming that you don't want the answer to involve blackmail, ransom notes, or... That's for a future live. That's a one. Yeah. That's topic. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We save that. And that's not during the day either. That's a, that's like a nighttime conversation on Zoom. (laughs) 100%. All right. Yeah. So I think this is like a huge topic because the reality is if you've priced correctly, not everyone is going to say yes. And most people are not going to say yes the very first time you talk to them. And so the question then becomes, how do I follow up with people in a manner that pushes the sale without being pushy? And I think that's really the perspective you want to to have is you want to look at everything from the perspective of having that balance of, yes, you are pushing the sale forward, but doing it in a way that respects the other person's autonomy and isn't pushy or having expectations. And that's one of the things that your generation gets all sorts of flack for all sorts of stuff, including the idea of entitlement. But the reality is people have a real sensitivity to the concept of of entitlement. I don't mean from your generation. I mean, regardless of how old you are, if you as a financial coach have If they get this sense that you feel like you're entitled to their business in some way, that is a huge turnoff. And this, by the way, notice I didn't say if you feel that you are entitled, Mm. right? If they get the sense and you always want to look at any of your communications from the perspective of what is the angriest possible voice the other person could read it in. That's a very good point. And if... If that's if that voice could have it interpret the things in a way that you wouldn't want to interpret it, you want to go back and rework the way that you say things. This is especially true when you're sending follow-up emails because there is no voice. Whatever's going on in that person's head that day is the voice that they are going to be applying your email to. Yep. So you're all subject to the last worst conversation the person had. 
<laughs> that sounds now, crazy. Yeah. And yeah, that is a tough one, I think, to know that there is some of this that is on you in the way that you show up and some of it that you have to be sure or you can't control, right? right. That last interaction that the person had, but you can control and look for how it could be interpreted by the client or potential yeah. client. Yeah. And so a lot of this just comes down to really being careful about how you write things. And one of the reasons why anyone who's in launch will tell you they get tired of me talking about, but you need to have templates and pre-written stuff so that you have the opportunity to really think through what is the best possible way to say this and then use that consistently and adjust it when you get responses that surprised you. So that's the first thing to really think about it is how, what am I writing and in what way that can come across in a way that isn't positive. The most common way that people will open up follow-up conversation is one of the common cliches. So, hey, I'm circling back or just following up or I just wanted to get back in touch with you. All of these things are phrases that you see over and over and over again in sales emails, which means that it doesn't matter that you don't have any bad intentions. They've read five of these emails from five other salespeople who did have bad intentions. And so that's going to get applied to you. And so you want to be really careful about the cliches. You want to be really careful about the first things that come to your mind are generally the things that you have read, even subconsciously, mm-hmm. and are applying to your emails. And therefore, they're probably going to have a higher likelihood of having triggering phrases within it to trigger negative reactions from people. So how do you then end... I know not everything is dependent on the opening, whether it's in an email or a text or phone call. What are ways then to get around cliche openings? So one of the ways of doing it is just finding something interesting or engaging to talk about. So for example, right now with my clients, we're going through tax planning. And so we're going to be using their tax returns that they just filed. And we're going to be looking at what can we do looking forward over the next year and over the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years to lower lifetime taxes. So the email that I sent out, the subject line was Groundhog's Day Tax Edition. And the very opening line of it was, well, now that your taxes are finally done, it's time to start talking about taxes. And then the very next sentence is, I know, not really the sentence you wanted to hear. Right. And so... Those types of openings where they don't have to be super funny, they don't have to be super clever, but they have to be something that shows some personality, some of your own personal personality in it. Yeah. That's how you avoid that cliche issue. Gotcha. And what you want to do is you don't, and I chose specifically something that has nothing to do with our topic, because the worst thing that you can do is just borrow from something that says, here is the perfect opening. You'll see sometimes advertising for, here's our 50 emails that you copy and paste and send out to your sales lists to get sales. And these will work, which means that if they're selling those 50 emails, everyone's using them, which means that you are just being really obviously just copying and pasting and there's no authenticity within the communication. And so be authentic, make jokes, uh, be friendly. Those are the types of things that will really go a long way. 
one of the things to pay attention to during the prospect meeting is if a client mentions, oh, yeah, we're going to see our kids soccer tournament on Saturday, start the follow up with, hey, before we get into financial coaching, how did the soccer tournament go? So look for those opportunities to personalize it with the client, and then you can move into where are you at. And then your consultation call or sales call template, like notes template, I have one. Um, Mm -hmm. Having a section at the bottom for, or just even throughout that, like, hey, while they're talking, I have a section that just says, like, important things that they share that I definitely want to bring up when it's my time going through the sales conversation. And maybe having a section at the bottom to just say, when following up, here are some things that were going on in their life for like ways to separate that out and just keep that information more top of mind rather than having to scan through everything. And then it also, if it's set out there beforehand, it triggers your mind to then say, all right, and I need to be on the lookout for this information. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's another reason why templates are so helpful, right? Is because it helps you to have this consistency of where to look, what to look for, and the key things that you're going to need. She had just asked, you know, email, phone call, text, which one is best to follow up? It's like, I know Josh will say it depends. <laughs> <laughs> so it does depend. However, it depends on something very, very specific. And that is, what have you gotten permission from the client for? Yeah. And so really what it comes down to is during your prospect call, as you're talking with them, if you want to follow up with a phone call, which a phone call is going to be the best way to follow up because it shows that you care, then say, hey, I'd love to follow up with you. Would you mind if I gave you a call in a week? And then get that permission from the client. I know people that actually schedule a follow-up call where they say, we're going to do a 20-minute conversation, and then we'll do a 30-minute conversation a week later. And they actually schedule that follow-up call with the client in the first call. I don't do that, not because I don't think it's a good idea, but because I don't have time to build that into my schedule. My schedule is booked out for quite a while, unfortunately. And so what I get permission for is the follow-up emails that I'll send out. As you're working on your follow-up emails and what your content is, you want to make sure that you have a structure to them. So the first follow-up email should have something that provides some additional value to the client. The second follow-up email should be something that, well, every follow-up email should be something that provides additional value to the client. But what that additional value is can change, right? So when we look at my second follow-up email, my second follow-up email is literally just a reminder email. It talks about, hey, I know life is busy. I just want to make sure that the busyness of life doesn't put things on the back burner that you don't want on the back burner. I'm here when you're ready. This is just a reminder. It's not exactly that language, but it's that idea. And it's crafted correctly. It can be very effective because a lot of people, this has been something they've been putting off for a while. And so if you write it correctly, it doesn't come across as you pushing for the sale, but it's definitely you pushing the sale forward because it's saying, I totally understand that life gets you distracted from these things which 
is going to be relevant to a lot of your audience because they've been putting things off for a while. I just wanted to make sure that you didn't, that the busyness of life doesn't distract you longer than you want it to. And that's a nice way of pushing it forward without being pushy. Do you feel like there's a hierarchy in terms of like phone being the best way to get people kind of being the best way and then maybe text and email. So if you get phone permission and they don't pick up, is it okay to follow up with a text or an email or sticking solely to the kind of communication that you got explicit permission for? Oh no, I absolutely. So if I call someone and they don't pick up sometimes, well, I had a call yesterday with a prospect where I called them at our scheduled time. So it wasn't just permission. They had scheduled the time to the call. The call went to voicemail. I left a voicemail that said, hey, this is me. We have a scheduled call. Here's my phone number. I'm going to shoot you an email real quick as well with some additional information. I hope to talk to you soon. Copied and pasted the email in. That's for that specific scenario. Yeah. Attached a couple of things that I wanted to attach and sent that off. Definitely before the email got to them, they had called me back. Yeah. And so I think it's totally worthwhile to say, hey, I'm going to also send you an email. I had another call with a person where it wasn't a scheduled call. I called them up. They actually did pick up. I introduced myself. They said, you know what? I'm in a meeting right now. Can I call you back later? And I said, yeah, not a problem at all. If you would like, I can text you a link where you can schedule the call so that you don't have to worry about playing phone tag. Oh, yeah, that would be great. So I sent them that text. So sometimes you can even get that those different varying layers of permission in sort of a daisy chain manner where you get the permission for the phone call. You call them up. Hey, it's a really busy time right now. I can't do it. Well, would you mind if I sent you a text so that it allows them to get, give permission without you encroaching on their life and saying, well, I still want to talk to you, even though you said you were too busy. So there are times when I've had a prospect and they'll say, yes, I'm interested, but I just need a little bit of time. Yes, mm -hmm. they'll say, okay, great. Can I follow up in a week? Sure. Follow up in a week. And then I'm just trying to think of a recent one. They said, hey, yes, I'm still. So after that week, say, yes, I'm still interested. Things have just been pretty busy. Mm -hmm. I'll let you know. Yeah. And so then you're kind of at this crossroads where for me, it kind of feels like, okay, this may, this could be going either way. Mm -hmm. right? It felt good in the initial call, 100%. Then yes, we'll follow up in a week. And then after that, like, hey, I'll get back to you. It does feel like, I don't know if momentum is the right word, but I'm like, oh, the initial excitement seems to be waning. And so kind of at a crossroads here. Yeah. So in sales trainings, what will usually what you'll usually be trained with is find out why they need the extra time and then try to overcome that. I'm not a big fan of those types of sales trainings for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is it feels icky. But one thing that you can do that won't feel icky is in that scenario where they say, hey, I need a little bit of time to think about it. No problem. I totally understand that. 
is there anything that I can provide you, any information that I can provide you that would help you as you're exploring this and making your decision? That way I can shoot an email to you with the information in it. Now you've gotten explicit permission to email them. You've identified exactly what they're going to be looking at and going to be deciding upon. And they may say, well, I just want to see what else is out there. And what I'll do is I'll say, hey, no problem. I'm going to send you a couple of networks. I'm also part of these networks. Uh, so a lot of the people that are in here, well, I'll say all of the people in here operate the same way that I do. And so I'll send them the XYPN network and the NAPFA network. And I say, no, I'm also going to send you my nonprofit's guide to interviewing financial advisors. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's a horrible idea. You've now sent them to your competition. Number one, I don't really view it that way. I view it as I've kept them from going to someone I don't want them to go to an insurance agent, for example. Nothing against insurance agents, by the way. It's just I don't believe that financial planning should be on a commission basis. It, that's I love insurance agents yeah. uh, for any of them that are listening. And I refer to them a lot. But as we look at what I've actually done there is I've taken control of their experience they're going to have as they're going to search around. Because the reality is they're going to search around one way or the other. So instead of not knowing what they're going to search around with, I provided them with resources. The mm -hmm. resources are good resources that have lots of options available. And I've provided them with good questions to ask and how to research people. But yes. it also shows that you aren't worried about that. You're not like shying away from the fact that there's other going to be looking and you're like, yeah, I can help. And yeah. I think there's just a, like a confidence that comes across in that as well. That's intangible. Yeah. Best case scenario. They, they get all that and they go, well, I don't think I need to go anywhere else because this person isn't begging for my business, et cetera, et cetera. Worst case scenario they contact other people, have good experiences, which they may have had anyway, probably would have anyway if they contacted four or five people. They're going to have at least one where they had a good experience as well. But at least I have, as they're doing the assessment, the added benefit of, well, even this person that I really liked, he gave them to me. And so there's a little bit of extra trust built in that. Worst case scenario, as they do their assessment that they were going to do anyway, I've at least got one extra little tally mark on my side. <laughs> but I always recommend having a structured process for following up. What you don't want to do is you don't want to have a situation where you follow up whenever you remember to follow up. So you want to have reminders. You want to have, when I have a prospect call, these are the follow-ups that I do this next many days after that prospect call. And it's all standardized. Because otherwise you're kind of in this scenario where you do it based on how good you feel about the call. And you're one half of that. You may have felt not so good about the call and the other person felt great, but because you felt not so good, you don't really follow up. Hmm. That's a really good point. So she had another question. How many times when customers say like, let's wait, and you know when they're just being polite. This kind of goes to what you just mm -hmm. said, I think, where in that question, it's saying where you know they were just being polite. But I think part of the question is, how do you know that for certain? Yeah. And maybe what questions could you ask or how could you get clarification as to whether they are indeed 
interested, whether at that point in time or yeah, probably at that point in time. Yeah, I know that with certain things in my life, the more interested I am with with something, the le- the less engaging I am and the less interested I show myself to be. Huh. And this is for major decisions. And the reason why is because I don't want to put myself in a position where the other person believes that they have the sale in the bag 100% because I want to be able to ask tough questions and get really good detailed answers back from that. And so when I'm really excited about something, I'm aware enough of myself to know that I'm excited about it. And so I overcompensate and look like I'm less excited. Interesting. I'm not saying that everyone is like that. What I'm saying is you don't know what's going on in the person's head. In reality, all you see is their outward expression of something. So if someone says, let's wait, I think there are a couple different things that could come after that, such as let's wait and you can follow up with me in a week, right? Like they then give you permission to do the follow-up. At that point, you can just follow up when they say, or what if they say that's let's wait and, or I need to take some time and I will get back to you. So how yes. do you handle that in terms of, do you just honor it or do you say hundred percent? Is it okay if I send you things that I come across that might yep. be relevant to you moving forward? So I, this is going to sound horrible. I never honor that, but I will stop contacting them once I've gone through my process, but I don't not honor it by just like sending the messages anyway. Someone says, hey, we, we're going to go on vacation. We're going to be back in a month. I'll get back to you when we kind of get life back in order again. My response to that will generally be, hey, enjoy your vacation. I understand when you get back from vacation, the last thing that you're going to want to do is make a decision about this type of thing. But I'll send you an email in about a month or just let them know. I'm going to send you some emails that are just reminder emails. There's no expectations that you're going to make a decision. They're just there to... To help you to so that to make sure that you actually do make the decision for yourself mm-hmm. rather than the decision being made because vacation was so much fun. And so I'll just let them know this is going to be my process. I've been very careful about how I've written my follow-up emails so that they don't sound entitled, they don't sound pushy, they don't sound like we're it's trying to make the sale. And I'll say, feel free to ignore them. Yeah. I think that's, you know, what's helpful around stating what you're going to do is then people know. And if for some reason they're like, I don't want that, then they could just reply back and be like, hey, no, actually, I'll just let you no need to send those. And if they say that, then you have that decision. (laughs) But like, at least it gives people the people like to know what's coming. I think, and this goes back to when we were talking about, should I put my prices on my website is in general, both the coach and the person, the prospect don't love being like having to surprise the other person or being surprised by what that price is. And so being able to just say, yeah, and here's my process. I have with everyone. I know that after vacation, as you said, so I'm just going to do, send you these and you can ignore them if you want, but it's my way to make sure that people follow through whatever language that works, but saying like, if this is something important to you, I want to make sure that you follow through, whether that's ultimately with me or not. 
the, the key thing with what the way that I do it with clients when it's on the call is I don't ask for permission to send the emails. I let them know this is my process. You'll get these emails. They'll have this type of content in it. And then I just sort of leave it at that. So that level of having confidence in not saying, hey, is that going to be okay with you? That really helps to ensure the client that you're not desperately pushing the sale. It's just, okay, this is what happens. But you have to be able to say, no, this is just the process. It's no big deal. You You have to be able to present it in that way in order to calm the other person down. Because if you're coming across in in this as as hesitant, or if you're feeling like you might be imposing upon them, it's going to come across. They're going to sense that, yeah, and they're going to feel like, oh, this person is imposing upon me. (laughs) Damn those mirror neurons! Yeah, people are able to perceive how we feel. Yeah. So a lot of this is also just confidence. Awesome. It's I a short one today. I've got a board meeting to get to, but thanks as always. Yeah, this was fun. And if there are aspects of this question, make sure to put those those questions in the comments. Please tag Josh or I so that we get notified and actually see them. But we're happy to answer any questions that come up related to this that we weren't able to get to or didn't answer. So, Josh, have fun at the board meeting. Everyone else, have a great rest of your week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.